Hi, I'm James Schellinglaw, and I'm here today once again with Ashish Sangrajka of Big Five Tours and Expeditions. And, and uh, Ashish is the guy who runs it all now. It's been a long running. In fact, it's a com company that's celebrating 50 years. And I, where did that go? And we're going to talk to him about that, as well as what's going on with new destinations, uh, new support for travel advisors, and a whole lot more on Insider Travel Report. Now, Ashish, uh, we just got finished. You're you're sitting in Toronto on en route from a virtuoso conference, I think. And and right. we're talking about how much I travel and you travel a lot. But first of all, I, I want to congratulate you on your 50th anniversary. Where where did the time go? I mean, what what yeah. happened? I'm wondering the same thing. I, you know, my, my father and I were talking about this the other day, just going, uh, it's five decades ago. How how did it go? And and we were also talking about you know moments of struggle, right? Moments right. of when when did when did it feel like it wasn't going to happen? What are the moments when it felt like it wasn't going to happen? And then being here, it, 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 you know what? And it it reminded us that even with the pandemic, the OA collapse, everything else, life's short. Fifty years goes fast. You just have yeah. to be able to live in each moment, good or bad. Live in the moment and just go through it. Um, no, ab you know, absolutely. So it was it was started by your dad, right? Yep. And, yep. That's right. Nineteen seventy three, February. Oh wow! Well, I know, and I know him well, and and you've carried on ama amazingly since then. Thank you've you. really grown Thank it. You. You've done some wonderful things. And when it started, what what did it really focus on? You know, when it started it was basically just tourism, domestic tourism within Kenya. It was basically local traffic. We had other safari companies using some of our vehicles. We had you know just people coming in. In fact, one of the things I remember, I was talking to my father about our very first guest, and he was talking about just how nervous he was. And, and, and just what it was like and, and also the dynamics of it. But it was, you remember, you know, where it started, my father used to work uh, at the, at the hotel in the hotel business in Nairobi right. before this. Right. So he was a front desk manager and he was talking about this, this, this shift and, and where it came from. Um, and it, it was just, yeah, it, it started originally just like a local safari company within Kenya with just aspirations. It was basically a hope and a dream is what it was. <laughs> So, so you you started with Kenya, and yeah. how how did it grow after that? Because I know you offer so many more destinations now, and I always lose track of how many. We we're just talking about Peru, and and I was yeah. like, we'll talk about Peru in a bit. Uh, but but man, I, I I was like, you sell Peru too, and and you said yeah, yeah of course. and I'm like oh, <laughs> you because know, then you expanded obviously into South America. You're yeah. you're you're in India. You're you're in India, which is yeah. You know, uh, but yep. talk a little bit about how that how that transpired, about how you grew the company and also expanded the destinations that you offer. I mean, you know, so this is, I mean, obviously when I was talking to, to dad about this and talking to, to, to my father just about the, the growth and where it went, it was in 1989. And in fact, I was having a conversation with somebody about Peru and they said the same thing. You said, you, you do Peru? I said, we've been in Peru for 30 of those 50 years. Right. You know, it was since 1989. In fact, you know, we had a company called Big Five Expeditions. When we came to the U.S. from Kenya, it was Big Five Tours, and it was Big Five Expeditions. It was two separate companies, and that ended up merging into one. So that was where the, the South America product was born. And, you know, it, it was basically one where you had Peru, you had Ecuador, and then expanded from there. And then in 1997, we actually ended up purchasing a company that did Asia. And we acquired this company in California and brought them in-house. And that's when we started doing Asia. Specifically, we were doing India already, but we started really expanding into Southeast Asia. And, it was, and I remember, I still remember, I, I, I came back from, you know, I was working in finance and economics, and I came back to the company in 2002, right around there. So I was traveling on the West Coast of, uh, you know, California and, and other parts. And I was going around offices talking 
talking about Vietnam and Cambodia in 2002 as the next up and coming destination. And I got laughed out of more offices that I can count on. <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, it's Vietnam and Cambodia. No, I will think about it. All of a sudden, it just started taking off, taking off, taking off. Um, and then even India, you know, India, we were offering, but it was like, okay, how do we get into the interior? So that was it. In, and then in, in 2006, we were one of the first companies in North America to open an office in Colombia. Okay. That was actually my mark, right? I mean, you know, when, when I joined the company, a lot of this was already here and it was basically growing it from what it was to, to something, you know, really more defined and, and standing for something on a conservation side, a sustainability side. And that became the main focus. One of the reasons I left finance, I was working for a company that had a trillion dollars in assets. Mm-hmm. And the best we could do was support a local boys and girls club. And it just made me sick that we had that many zeros in the bank yeah. and the best we could do. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's noble to do that, of course, but I just expected more. I yeah. wanted more. So that's when we shifted into, into, into this, like this mode that, okay, we have a responsibility. But Columbia for me was 2006 and that was my mark. Like, okay, right. this is this. So and and, I, and you, I, you got it. it in on the ground floor because I mean, boy, you know, even 2006, yeah. people were still a little nervous. And now, uh, you know, the country is, is uh, post post pandemic now is really, I just talked to the Colombians and they're seeing a lot mm-hmm. of visitation coming in. Right. A hundred percent. I mean, look, we came in, we ended up opening our own office in 06 in Bogota. Then we opened up in Cartagena and now we just opened up in Medellin. It's our own people on the ground in Colombia. And, and you're right. Like, you know, my business partner in Colombia is originally from Venezuela. Mm-hmm. And so the two of us actually put this together and it was, you know, this, this vision that this is a sleeping giant. And I remember when I went there, it was, it was really rough around the edges and it just kept improving. In fact, you know, I've been going every year. I've been to Colombia now 40 times. This June will be my wow. 41st time. Um, I'm taking a, a group of travel advisors. Uh, we'll be the first group in all of North America to go to Caño Cristales. Um, you know, but but it, it's it's these watershed moments, right? So back in 2016 or 2000, uh, right around there, 16, right around there, 14, right around there. I remember I was with a group in Bogota, and we were talking to ministers about sustainability. And it was right around the time the the FARC treaty was being signed. And turns out those same ministers we had lunch with, they were the ones negotiating with the FARC. Wow! And so they so you're, you're intimately involved with the politics of the Absolutely. country. Absolutely. Right I mean, they leave us that night, and next thing I know, it's seven o'clock that evening. I, it, me, and the other advisors with me, we see these guys, same guys on BBC that night with the treaty being signed and whatnot. So we're like, okay, well, you know, there's one of those where were you moments, right? Um, so no, yeah, it's. That's amazing. So, so right now you, you're South America. You're you're obviously Africa all the time. Yeah. You're you're India. Um, yeah. And you are you are you you're in Southeast Asia as well. Or? A bit a bit of Southeast Asia, Vietnam, Cambodia, uh, Thailand, uh, Laos, so those places. Not as much. And in Indonesia, focusing on the orangutans in Borneo and whatnot. Right. Not so much on Bali. But but India's always been the anchor for us. And and for India, it's always been about getting outside of Rajasthan, getting outside right. of Uttar Pradesh into other areas. Um, so yeah. that's a big thing for us too. Yeah. Well, I, obviously your, your, your family is originally from India, although I'd be a Kenya, if I recall. <laughs> that's right. Uh, via, well, via Kenya, via Sudan for my mom, via Uganda for my wife. Uh, so it's via, via, via. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, the old vestiges of the British empire, you know, you, that's right. you, you, they put Indian families all over the world. And Pretty they, much. And they, wherever they, the wherever they landed, they kind of dominated the economy, but that's another yeah, in, in, in good and bad ways. Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, I think mostly good ways. I, I, that's I, right. I'm that's always right. impressed that's by, right. by how the industrious, the Indian businessman is and really amazing people. And of course, yeah, now right. you're, you're a hundred percent American. So we can, <laughs> that's right. 
<laughs> I'm more New Yorker than I am anything else. I think. I, I know. Sure. I t- t- totally. And your, your dad, your dad still has a little of that accent, but he's he's an American too. So it's like uh, he, he's 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 getting more and more American. I mean, you should see how when he starts having his coffees. Now, once he starts having coffee, he's, he's no, he's he's shifted. He's, uh, well, he's, that's he's, okay. So, sorry to hear that. But that's okay. yeah. <laughs> but, exactly. uh, no, I mean it's it's it, we do we do have a, that that effect on people. But anyway, let's get yeah. back to business here. because because yeah. of course, uh, with in concert with your anniversary, you're also putting out a lot of new support programs for travel okay. advisors, and that's a huge thing. Can you tell us a little bit about more of these programs and how they uh, mesh with what you you already had programs, but you, this is oh uh, yeah. This was when we had them. And you know what? For us, it's about trust and relationships, right? It's not about the business. We, we often joke about the fact that we're not interested in this booking. We're interested in the booking that comes after, you know, and it's the, the, the relationship and, and the friendship. Um, and for us, you know, we only work through advisors. So in terms of how we do it, we, we don't have the bandwidth, nor do we want the bandwidth to take direct business. Um, so as we work through it, it was, you know, it, it, it wasn't just, okay, let's build an internet been there, done that. It wasn't just, let's create a login. Again, been there, done that. We wanted to create something immersive because, you know, when we launched our White Glove Service Program, which was back in 2000 and I think 2013, 2000 and now, before that, actually 2009, um, when we launched that program, it was about being able to have constant communication with advisors during the trip. And then now when we launched our Give 5.0 program, it was the same thing, giving constant communication with advisors. But as we noticed, we kept hearing over and over again as we sent updates and information to advisors, oh, that's what my clients look like. I've never met them before. Mm-hmm. And that started happening more and more frequently. We said, you know what? That's an opportunity for us. So we, we actually created something called Portal 5 last week. So based on a platform, we we basically rewrote the code for something called portal five and essentially creating a hub where it's, it's, it, you know, it, it's a central central hub for everything pre-departure itinerary wise that links up with, with access, with Travify, with UMAP, with whatever, with, with, with whatever the advisor is using. But there's a specific section branded for the advisor where we can upload videos from the advisor Thanking their clients in person, basically creating a tool for them to integrate and to into to basically interact with their clients before they leave in more in more ways than a phone call. Right. We started even making from that offering where where our team would start doing you know Zoom calls like this with advisors using Google Earth to be able to start showing where people are going, having these before they leave to let's to go over what to pack, what to bring, um, you know, and it, it, we noticed that the collaborative process was one where advisors were coming to us and initially were a bit apprehensive about being on video with their clients. But then afterwards, recording videos and talking to them, it, it, it actually led to increased business for other areas outside of the big five network, right. right? Outside of our ecosystem, which is what we wanted, right? We want success where all boats rise with the tide. Um, you know, so, so it, it, it's really about getting closer and it's thinking outside the box because the conventional system for advisors is, you know, let's create an intranet and let's give you different access right. to information. We built custom websites within access, within Travelify to load all of our information. So we beta tested it streaming, streaming there for them. So we have a constant flow of new programs dynamically updated for advisors to have information. And now we have a video integration that they can talk to their clients in real time before they leave. That's they can amazing. talk to them before they go. So it's, 
it's, it's a huge step for us. No, that's great. So portal five, that sounds like an amazing new program. So, uh, uh, and, and a way for travel advisors to interact with you and with their clients. So that sure, sounds correct. like a good thing now. All right. So that's the big new thing on, on the advisor side. Uh, let's talk in general. I mean, when we talked a few years ago, right in the middle of the yeah. pandemic, and I think we were talking in your, in your backyard, uh, yeah, right. uh by, by, by zoom, of course, uh, uh, you know, it wasn't like I was having a drink with you, which would have been much, much more preferable, that's but, right. uh, that's right. the, the, uh, but no, and what do you think has happened as we we say we're emerged from pandemic now and we have other other issues in the world, but right, uh, right. pandemic seems to be behind us, uh, hopefully. Uh, what yeah. do you see as the trends that were created from that? You know what? I, I often hear this phrase, new normal. I, I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. I don't think it was a new normal. It's actually an acceleration to where we were heading all along. We actually had a joke during the pandemic, and I mentioned this to you when we were in our backyard, in my backyard, was basically, like, you know, when we saw people wanting more authentic experiences, more immersive experiences, more sustainable experiences, socially responsible, we looked around and said, we've been doing this for two decades. Right. We've been at this point. So we just said, you know what? The lights are on, the doors unlocked, the beer's cold. Come on in. <laughs> uh, we, we, we've been waiting for you. So yeah. that was a big part of it. So it's, it's been this, this acceleration really towards that. That's been the major trend. In fact, you know, it's been so received, so well received where I, I remember Gosh, 2018, 2017, I would talk to people about sustainability and I would get back, you know what? My clients don't really care about that. Yeah, they're, right, they're, right. they're not really. I don't hear that anymore at all. No. Now, no. quite the opposite. You know, now it's, hey, I need something that actually has, it's, it's immersive, it's authentic, it's socially responsible. Fantastic. Let's, let, you know, let's get the ball rolling. Yeah, that's, um, so that, that's that sustainability is definitely one aspect that's come away uh, everywhere, everywhere you talk, whether you, you and I are at the World Travel and Tourism Council, the Global Summit, somewhere right. like that, uh, or or anywhere, everyone's talking sustainability. And I just actually got off another interview where we just talked about um, the life of the oceans, you know, as that's right. how resorts are supporting that. That's uh, right. So, yeah, so that's one thing. Obviously, there are other trends in luxury. You're in the luxury sphere. And that seems, right. you know, once again, to be a, an area of travel that, seems uh you know not to be affected that much by these no. things. i mean obviously when the world stopped it stopped as well but it came right. back strong yeah look i mean the people in that spectrum they've already the, 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 there's there's disposable income set aside and yes you've got you know recessionary pressures that may be coming later on and whatnot but there's still such a huge amount of demand and it you know it's pent-up demand but it's also i would say more than pent-up demand it's pent-up responsibility and what i mean by that is that you know it's the, it, when you take a look back at oh wait you take a look back after 2011 you take a look back at um you know any kind of of calamity even ebola in 2014 take a look at that right. don't look at the first year after the recovery the first year after and it's it's the same thing the luxury demographic returns first right we, the common consensus is the people looking for deals the tire kickers show up first no they don't they've been the hardest hit. the luxury traveler are the ones who still see travel as a privilege and not a right and they show up and and and, and it's really something that you know i had this conversation with an advisor uh in, in naples and a couple up here in canada as well that we take a stock take stock of this and the pandemic especially for the luxury clientele for their children and grandchildren this was the first time that they were not insulated from a calamity, right? You take a look back, the OA collapsed. Some of their kids and grandkids were too young or too insulated. You take a look back at, at 2009-11, most of them weren't even alive. They weren't right. even born yet. So this is the first time they've actually felt an economic uh, interaction or economic calamity. And that was a big part of this. 
um, you know, in, in terms of this. So it was huge, the fact that these travelers now see the luxury sphere as, okay, this is a responsibility to the next generation. This is our legacy. It's not trust funds. It's not that. It's it's this. This is our legacy that we leave for the next generation. Because let's face it, the world's getting more complicated. It's not getting not getting solved. It's getting no, more, that's, more that's complicated. That's not going to change. Yeah. <laughs> that's not going to change. You know, we, I, I was telling my son the other day, I said, you know what? I, I'm not, you're going to get a world that's pretty complicated. You're going to have to speak multiple languages. I wish I could say that it was our fault, but you, it's everybody's fault. And it's right. just it's not a case that you're going to be able to solve but it needs newer ideas. Yeah, it absolutely. Needs a newer approach. Well, yeah. and you you mentioned a few things there and the other thing that's been a and this was a this is a, a trend actually post 9/11 too, but the whole refocus on family and group travel mm -hmm. with, with multi-generational I I think you've seen that as well, right? Very much. I mean, look, I sit on the board, uh, on the advisory board for the Family Travel Association, um, and we're also one of the first companies to go through and become family travel certified which with their audit process, which is frankly amazing. Um, and it is. 30% of our business comes up with, with family travel. However, it's, it's not typical family travel. It's what we call gramping. It's, you know, grandparents and, you know, you being a new grandfather as well. So grandparents and grandkids and we're telling the parents, yeah, I don't think you're invited here. I think it's just the grandparents and the grandkids. That's one aspect. Then you've got yeah. family travel where you've got, you know, this last hurrah before kids, before, before kids go away to college, you got this last hurrah for them as well. That's become a big deal. So it's, you know, it, it was amazing because when we came out of the pandemic, for me personally, I've missed every first day of school for both of my kids because wow. of virtuous yeah. travel week and everything else. This was the first first day of school that I had been to. And right now I'm rushing home from a week on just so I can get home because I know this weekend I want to be present. My son just got his driver's license. I want to be present. Uh, oh, my sympathy. So <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I, I, if anybody's listening, please just leave the road. Just, just, just pull over to the side. He, you know, crew, crew, Park the park the seat so he can pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that is a, it is a big step, but it is. I remember yeah. that with my both of my kids, and now you know. But yeah, so family is is really uh, definitely part. Yeah. But let's let's talk about big five, especially this year and heading into next yeah. year. Uh, we talked about some of what's new. What are some of the new programs and itineraries you have? Uh, and I know you have some more stuff going on in India as well, right? Which you already do very well. You know, so I mentioned you, my background's in finance economics and, and we talked about, you know, the, the, the colonies and whatnot. And, and India, you know, I remember my, my political science and economics professors both during college, this was in the late 90s, talked about India, that India could very well be the next superpower and the next economic power. And, and this was 1996, 97. And who knew how ominous that would be? And then all of a sudden, India becomes you know, one of the top five economies in the, in, in, in right. the world, the GDPs in the world. And, and now it took over China as the most populated country in the world. And now you start seeing about different things they're doing with currencies and how they're trying to, to, to create. In fact, right now, they're one of the first countries in the world to create a centralized digital currency for themselves. So yeah. economically, you know, we see this passing. Now, the thing is, at the height of India's uh, peak, yeah, let's say even at the height, but at the, at the most point, tourism in India hasn't made up a large chunk of their economy like it has in Kenya or in Peru, 7% in 2019. Yeah. 
And, you know, so for us, that 7%, we looked at that and we've been looking at this for, you know, since I joined Big Five was how do we get to what we call the space between, right? Everybody goes to Jaipur and Agra and Delhi and Udaipur and Mumbai. But what about the space between? What about the small places in between those areas? What about the other areas outside? How, how do we bring tourism to other parts like Bangalore and Mysore, the Nagarholi Forest, uh, to Hampi, going out to, to the Bengali side, going out to Kolkata, going out to, you know, to, to, to the tea, to the tea leaves, the tea estates and everything else, near, you know, up near Darjeeling and, and start looking at that and saying, look, there's so much more to India than just the, uh, the you know, the Taj Mahal and, and the Mughals and Rajasthan. Right. There's so much more to it than the Ganges. And we're never going to be able to make tourism a stronger part of the equation, which honestly it needs to be, right? Because when you look at any country, take Colombia, for example, India is the same boat. One of the biggest things people talk about, the stereotype of India is there's so much poverty, right? With over yeah. a billion people, there's so much poverty. And we saw it in our stats, right? 50% of the people who repeat to India with a second time never wanted to go in the first place. And when we asked them what's the number one reason for not going, oh, there's so much poverty. But then they got there. And, and I remember they, I, I was having conversations with the tourist board. I was having conversations with friends of mine who work in the ministry. And they were tracking a growing middle class at that point, working in, in IT and then working in tourism through cell phone use. Now they're tracking it, you know, buying cell phone. Now they're tracking it through car purchases. So when you look at countries like Colombia, countries like Peru, countries that are emerging from, you know, with tourism, you know, the ones where tourism is somewhat new and growing, that becomes one of the biggest drivers for a growing middle class. It actually sure. helps bridge the gap between the ultra rich and the ultra poor. So India is no different. Right. India has one of the strongest in the economy, but you still have a wide gap between the haves and have nots. Yeah. And, and, and so for us, it was about getting beyond Rajasthan, getting beyond Uttar Pradesh, getting into other parts of India and, and creating programs that go to to remote areas, which is which is our, our, our signature. It's what we're known for is getting off the beaten track. We we call our trips travel 2.0. Right or travel right. 3.0, even if you will. It's about getting so far off the beaten track and actually bringing tourism to these equations to preserve the way of life of some of these other communities and some of these other uh, other other indigenous indigenous people in different parts of India. Now that's so obviously India has been a major focus for you as well as your your other destinations. We talked we talked about Colombia and Peru. Um, let's talk a little bit about something you just did mention. You know how, how does Big Five and you have a long history of this, and so maybe it's going to be a long answer. But uh, Big, how, how does Big Five give back to the communities and destinations that it visits? Uh, how, how does it help its guests to give back? I mean, because you you are basically. Uh, convincing your guests that this is something they need to do and and, right. and, and will in, be interested in doing them. And so what are the kind of responsible travel initiatives that Big Five has launched just in the past few years? Oh, for sure. Look, I mean, you know, our, our foundation has been around, you know, for, gosh, almost approaching 20 plus years now. And we've always been involved. I mean, it started one of the stories we told about, about my father when we first started Big Five was about him getting trying to get people to stop smoking on safari uh, with other safari companies. You know, it's still still a work in progress, but it was there. Um, but when you start looking at this, you know, we wanted to be able to, to you know, have impact and, and have impact in different ways. When, when the United Nations came out with, you know, with the sustainable initiatives and the roadmap, if you will, right, in terms of uh, in 2017, of, okay, these are the 17 separate buckets. This is, this is, they pretty much wrote the blueprint on what sustainable tourism is supposed to be. And they clearly defined it for the world. We took that approach in 2017 and said, all right, how do we make this more? more powerful how do we make this the point where where we're actually not just getting back to say let's go feed hungry children or let's go right. give back here but something more meaningful so we started asking questions in every country we visited said all right what's your biggest socioeconomic issue and how do we help solve it for you 
What do we do to help solve it for you? And that became a big part of, of, of who we are and, and, right. and what we do. So, to, you know, we started looking. And so, for example, in Guatemala, we found the leading cause of death was, you know, among, among women and children was lack of clean drinking water and carcinogens. So we started basically putting stuff together there where we're deploying clean water filters made from clay pots that actually are made from local artisans. And the way they're designed, it creates a clean water filter for two years. And each filter supplies clean water for 24 children. So that becomes a big part of it as well in terms, in terms, of, in terms of what we do. The other thing that we focused on was, was getting into you know, Peru, for example, you know, in Peru, we, we partnered up with a local NGO where we were basically trying to figure out how to support women and micro entrepreneurship among women through weaving textiles and whatnot. So we found meaningful ways. And then we said, OK, rather than just telling clients, look, here's how you can give back. We already knew our trips give back a portion of, of, of proceeds to every, you know, of every, of every, every, every project. But we said, rather than having 50 projects, let's have a system. So in each country, we have small projects that we start grooming to see when they're ready to become a foundation project. Then we break them into a foundation project. So we, we've got, you know, for example, a, a two projects in Peru. The ones that, like, for example, the, the, the women micro-entrepreneurship project. Right. We have another project right now, which is a big thing for us, is actually deploying mini robots that called Tippy the Robot. Oh, I think I, you, I, you, you put out a release about this one. I thought it was yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I, I, just, I just deployed when I saw it for myself. I was in Peru two weeks ago with my family and I saw my son this first one because I met this, this this teacher Walter Velasquez he lost his job as a teacher he was in Juan Cavalica during the pandemic he, and he was he couldn't just go virtual because nobody has internet so he was designing robots that are programmed in 27 different languages in a full school curriculum to deploy out to communities that have no internet to be able to keep these kids out of human trafficking drug trafficking mercury mining um, and say let's engage them in their language meet them where they are so we deployed one and we tried something new where we deployed them in a school in Lima to say this school has internet. And we saw how these kids interacted and it took us, it was like the fourth wall came down. So that was a project. And then we have the school in Tanzania as well that's supporting 300 Maasai communities with the, with the school that's there. So we took that. Now you fast forward to 2018. So 2018 is when those bombings happened in Sri Lanka. Right. And when, when that happened and we started saying, wait a second, you know, Every foundation and every project every company has is prone to geopolitical issues. So if tourism in that destination goes down, the project suffers. How do we fix that? That's when, and I saw you at ILTM when we talked about this, that's when Give 5.0 was born. So we created an algorithm that actually allows us to kind of figure out when your clients are traveling, you know, with advisors, kind of figure out what the clients are into and then picking a project that, 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 that fits that mill or, or aligning it. And then the trip is now aligned and supporting a project that aligns the interest versus geographical things. So you, for example, you could be traveling in Colombia with us. And if you have an affinity towards education, your trip is supporting our school in Tanzania. Right. Um, if you're traveling in South Africa and, and, and you have an affinity towards community development and we notice that technology is something good for you, now you're supporting the robot project in, in Peru. So it helped, it helped completely eliminate the geopolitical curve and the geopolitical, geopolitical influence into, into philanthropic efforts. So that's, and that's to us, it's the central part of who we are as a company. And it's in our DNA. We tell advisors that if, if clients don't believe in sustainability, it's okay, we're not the right fit then. Yeah, then no. Well, I mean, one of the things about and you're talking about it, you you were kind of aligning the interests of your your customers, your your clients, the advisors' clients to what 
what you can offer. And, and actually, that's the great experience. I mean, in luxury, right. we say luxury is all about experience for years. Right. And you're giving them an experience that they can't really duplicate anywhere. That's right. And for us, the big thing with the sustainability is transparency. You know, we, I believe in zero sum accounting. So that means basically twofold. What happens if it goes completely down to nothing? What happens if it become a poverty alleviation project? You know, one of the biggest issues any foundation deals with and any, any sustainable effort deals with is corruption. Being able to being honest and transparent about that as well and, and showcasing that. Uh, but then also when, when advisors and the travelers come with us, being able to make them part of the equation. For example, one of the, one of the projects we have in Colombia right now that we're, we haven't made a foundation project, but one we've been doing for the longest time is trying to become completely self self neutralizer, sub zero footprint carbon neutral in Colombia by planting red mangroves on the islands around Cartagena. These are the same islands that we were helping to, to feed the fishermen during the pandemic. Now we're helping to preserve the ecosystem and, and, and basically measuring out how many mangroves you have to plant. So every guest that goes out in a catamaran with us, we're replanting 20, 30 red mangroves that we have that we have basically washed that wash ashore that we're putting back into the ground. Wow. And we're making them part of the equation. Uh, in terms of that. Yeah. Now I want to move ahead and talk to, about something we, we've just talked about with Peru. Obviously we've had uh, a couple months, a few months back uh, uh, of mm-hmm. some protests in the streets. Uh, there's, there's political upheavals. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, what's the status now of Peru from, from your perspective? I, I mean, you're offering trips now uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and are, are people going and uh, what do you want to say about the safety factor there? Yeah. Look, I was just there two weeks ago with my family with my wife, with my kids. Um, you know, I've been there, you know, more times than I can count. I, we, we actually, my, my wife and I went and my kids, we went 2018. My kids never got to, my wife never got to see Machu Picchu because we were in a bit of a train fender bender going up to Machu Picchu. So oh we never got there. So it was like, okay, let's go back. So we just went two weeks ago because I wanted to show people that it was there. It was my son's 16th birthday. We took him paragliding on his 16th birthday and I, I went with him to show him that his old man can still do it. So I went with him. You're, you're very brave. <laughs> I, I couldn't, I couldn't let this guy show me up. So we went there, but it was, it was actually getting all the way around. We have people rebooking now. And, and we actually, you know, when this happened, we actually created a whole WhatsApp group with almost, I think it was almost 50 advisors on this group and then, and growing where we were just sharing updates and videos. We had two of our drivers just driving back and forth between Cusco and the Sacred Valley just to take video of the road. We had guests up at Agos, uh, guides up at Agos Calientes taking video of the town going up to Machu Picchu. Whenever guides would get to Machu Picchu with clients, we would take video just so we made sure advisors had updated information. Then when I went, we did a, a three-part dispatch and we were sharing these videos with advisors and putting it out to the community to say, look, here it is. Peru is safe. Here's the case. We were interviewing people. So it is still very much the case. It's open. Um, it is it is running. We have people who are there right now. We have people who just got back, people who are going. And, and yeah, they're booking it in. The business is definitely moving. When I, when I was at Machu Picchu that day, it was again, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, 1,500 people registered. Wow. That day to visit Machu Picchu, and and I remember, and I said this in our in our dispatch as well. But the, our guide, Chris, our guide who I traveled with there, he looks around, he goes, "There's a lot of gringos here." <laughs> so <laughs> the gringo, the gringos are back, right? <laughs> I looked around, and sure enough, and I heard American accents, oh, I heard European accents. I mean, it was it wasn't domestic traffic only; it was international. So even more so now. Now, where where can folks go to see if you have these videos? Uh, where can they go to see them? Just uh, on our website, big5.com. And at the top right-hand corner is a, a little tab called blog. 
Just click on that and scroll all the way down and they'll see it there. And I'm still running that WhatsApp group with updates. So if any advisor wants to still get live updates on Peru, they're not as frequent as they were when this was first happening. I'm happy to add them to be able to share them. But just if they go to our blog site, we'll be able to give them. And on all of our videos, because we generate our own video content in-house, all of our videos from the from the dispatches to anything else that we do, they're all downloadable for advisors. So right. they can be then uploaded to their, their platform and be housed there to use to share with clients versus just linking to our site. And that's that as we, uh, you, you don't have to convince us. We, we use video all the time. Absolutely. How, how important it is to, in our case, talk to the, the people that matter out in the travel world. That's right. Like yourself. That's right. Uh, now, uh, we're sort of at the end here. Uh, I just wanted to see, give you an opportunity to tell our 113,000 travel advisors and growing uh, about Big Five on this 50th anniversary. Again, congratulations Thank to you. you. Thank you. Uh, to your dad. Uh, <laughs> Thank and, you. And maybe to your son, maybe to your son. Uh, at some point. <laughs> if he decides he's gonna, he, he likes this life, you know. Yeah, um, he wants to be an aerospace engineer. We told him as long as he changes the world for the better, that's all we care about. Yeah, that's what you, you, can't, you can't force into anyone. But it is, no, a, as you found out, it's a very appealing career to be in travel and tourism. Maybe a little more interesting than finance, right? You know what? If finance, instructed derivatives are nice, but after about a year or so, it's like, okay, enough. I got to get get out of this cubicle. Enough math. I got to get out of here. Okay. So anything else you want to tell our advisors about Big Five this this anniversary year? Just uh, just thank you. Just thank you. I mean, without them, we're not here. And I know know advisors hear that from people a lot. You know, without you, we're not here. I need to tell them, you know, and and I just just shared this story. We're an open book when it comes to the struggle it took to get this company here. So I tell any advisor that if you want to hear the story about Big Five, don't call my father, call my mother. She's actually the backbone. She's the, she's the reason we're here. She's the one who told us to not give up when we were already to give up. Right. She's the one. And I mean, I, whether I was a child or involved in the business, in fact, she's the one that lured me back in when, when I, when I was gone, I didn't want to be in tourism because I wanted my own shadow. I didn't, sure. I didn't want to be living the family shadow. She's the one who said, please, you need to just come check this out and, and, and took a chance. And, 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 you know, when I, when I think about all the different consortiums that work with us, it's thank you to them because they took a chance on us. I said this to Matthew and I said this to others as well. They took a chance on us when they didn't have to. Right. And, you know, and I said this back in 20, I think 2014, and I'll say it again. You know, once they took a chance on us, we spent every day making sure that they never regret that that choice. And we'll spend every day going forward, making sure they never regret that choice. So to them, I just say thank you. That's that's what that's really it. Well, fantastic. Now, once again, uh, if you want to get more information about Big Five, I believe it's uh, www.bigfive.com. You got it. Big5.com, all spelled and you, out. And you can see that and you can see all the access to the, the videos we were talking about. I, I know you do a tremendous job. And if you get on uh, Ashish's mailing list, you get a whole bunch of stuff all the time about what's going on in the world and uh, the different programs you have. In addition to the usual, yeah, we have a new program to so-and-so, you're going to get a lot That's of stuff right. about sustainability and, and all the important stuff that really is becoming Oh, also more important today than ever before as we emerge from the pandemic. Uh, Ashish, it's been great to see you. We have to make one promise though, to each other that the yes. next video we do will be live in person somewhere in the world. Yes, yes. And and whether it's on one of your trips, whether it's at a, a travel uh, agency event, but uh, the next one we do, and will hopefully be later this year, uh, we're, we're going to do this live in person. 
Absolutely. It's, it's done. It's, it's, it's done. Done. hundred percent. I, I, Zoom is great. So, you know, virtual is great, but yeah, I, we need to do it in person. hundred percent. Right? Cause we have, we have a whole, we have a whole lot more fun when we're together. I know. And we would have more fun off camera. We'd just hang, hang out for a bit. Well, like, like I did wish I was with you having a cold drink in your backyard that time when we were all st- oh. uh, stuck in the inside with COVID. Right. That's right. That's right. You were recovering. I had a lawnmower going past me as I was talking to you on that. I remember that too. <laughs> uh, strange days as we had. Anyway, Absolutely right. Uh, again, I see. Thank you so much. And uh, we will see you again soon and have a safe flight back to uh, Florida. And uh, we'll, we'll talk soon. Uh, Absolutely. Talk soon. I'm James Schillinglaw, and this is Insider Travel Report.